Makes it a two-point game. Oh, here's your mismatch right here. Now it's Luka. Deep three on the Welcome back to 77 Minutes in Heaven, the Dallas Mavericks podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am Brian Damaris, and with me as always, the voice of the Mavericks, Mark Follower. Hello. It is uh, getting closer and closer to time. We are less than two weeks away. There are going to be scrimmages that are starting this week for the Mavs down in Orlando, Brian, and we'll get into that further on. But uh, big name. A-list guest to get things started today. Yeah, you're the voice of the Mavericks, but we have on the voice of the nation, the NBA. <laughs> How about that? Uh, the longest serving, I didn't know that, longest serving voice of the NBA Finals, Mike Breen. We talked to him about uh, what it's going to be like broadcasting bubble games, uh, 2011 memories, um, and a lot more. A, a great discussion with Mike. Indeed it was. Um, and, uh, you know, just... Uh, even some good stuff on uh, the Knicks head coaching search and just... Uh, Which has Mavs implications, and we'll yes. get into that. Yes, it does. And after that, you and I are going to talk about where the Mavericks were on March 11th, kind of refresh everybody's memory mm-hmm. on where the Mavericks stand. Uh, so we'll do a season review right after you hear from Mike Green. Well, in 77 minutes of heaven, if this were to be like an Olympic medal stand, obviously our gold medal guest, Brian, was Dirk. Our silver medal guest was Mark Cuban. And I don't think that the gentleman on the phone with us now will mind that he is a bronze medal guest to Dirk and Mark Cuban. That's pretty high company. We are joined by a man I'm proud to call a good friend, longtime colleague, the voice of the Knicks, and for 15 years, the voice of the NBA on ABC. He'll be calling his 15th NBA Finals this year. Joining us on 77 Minutes in Heaven on the, on the Athletic Podcast Network is the great Mike Breen. Hello, Mike. How are you? So, Mark, not only would I, would I take the bronze, I would be satisfied with being that, that Olympic runner at the marathon who comes in like an hour after everybody else finished, but he still finished the race. <laughs> So I'll take I'll take any kind of Olympic uh, analogy there. Well, very good. I know that you had a chance to do many of those in your time, of course, at NBC as well. So uh, it's good to chat with you. Uh, we've got a lot to cover in our time here. I guess before we get to basketball, um, this has been an extraordinary four and a half months for all of us and living in the New York area and uh, what was the first coronavirus hotspot in the United States. Uh, from a personal standpoint, Mike, how have you dealt with the ups and downs and the roller coasters and just everything that's turned our lives upside down collectively in the last four months? Well, it's a complicated question and a complicated answer, Mark. Um, I, I think you said it best to use the word roller coaster. Emotionally, that's what it's been. Um, been very fortunate for, for me and my family that, that we've remained healthy. Um, you know, I certainly know some people uh, that have dealt with and battled battled the virus, like many of us, and pretty much all of us have known known somebody. Um, and it's you know, it's a it's a complete different way of life, and it's impacted people in so many different ways. You know, there have been some some positives. For example, my I've had my I have three adult children, but they've been with us you know most of the time. It's a time I never would have had with them. So, you know, I I I so cherished that part. Uh, but for a lot of people, it's just been been so difficult, and and then with all the um, the racial unrest, starting with George Floyd and, and his murder, and then the 
all the unrest and the protests and then the violent um, uprisings, it's it's really been um, you know it's really been a, a daunting time uh, for the country. And you know I'm always been a really positive person, glasses three quarters full, uh, and I still believe in that. I believe the human spirit will win out over all these things and and then the right will happen but it has been it has been i think for everybody will agree it's been an historic time um that uh, that we've all had to experience so given your answer to that question as you prepare to go to orlando and resume broadcasting nba games starting in just over a week um what are your emotions like realizing that the nba is coming back to uh, you know, hopefully uplift our spirits. And obviously the, the league is uni- unified in the movement, of course, of raising awareness for racial justice. Uh, what are your emotions like as we prepare to, to welcome back the game we love? Well, I think it's, it's going to be such a welcome sight for everybody. Um, you know, sports has been um, such a great unifier for for the country and you know people who have different views on everything uh, if they if they root for the same team they they find something they find that bond together and can unify them so hopefully you know it'll be something that can can help heal some wounds uh certainly it can be a distraction from from all the ups and downs of the difficulties that we faced um, and I think, you know, especially for the NBA, um, with with 80 percent or something around that number of of the athletes who are black, it's it's an important thing to continue, you know, even as the season starts. I mean, because because that's basically that's that's what's in their hearts and that's what's in their in their heads right now, and it's it's utmost in their in their minds. So, you know, I think on our broadcast, yeah, we will absolutely. Um, you know, do basketball and cover basketball and the fun part of basketball and the silly part of basketball and the competitive part of basketball. But I think we also have to figure out a way to uh, to keep that message going as well on the telecast. You know, I've always been been one, Mark, who feels um, in many cases during a game telecast, that's really for the game and, and to do other complex issues. Sometimes you, you can't do it justice in a soundbite or one or two lines because you, you can't really express opinions and do things the right way. But I do think this this time in our country and this time in, in our broadcast is different because, um, you know, without being overly dramatic, it, it is. It's an historic time. And uh, as much as there's been some down things going on that gets you gets you unnerved, there's also been so many inspiring things that we've seen from people in getting together and trying to get the message and equality for everyone. And and again, I'm I'm hopeful that'll happen, and I and I know that'll be part of the message during the uh, during some of the broadcasts. So, from a basketball and broadcast perspective, uh, my partner here, Followell, is going to be calling the game remotely from Dallas. Uh, what is the plan for? Uh, ESPN and ABC uh, in terms of calling the national games and how is your uh, preparation for these games different because obviously you do a lot of prep going in on your own and research uh, but then game days you're talking to knuckleheads like Followell and local broadcasters and uh, coaches uh, in arena and you won't be able to do that so so what is the plan for um, the broadcast and, and your preparation? You know, Brian, it's, it's a great question. Um, you know, we will be in the arena, but we're on a different tier 
um, as the players and coaches, so there won't be any direct contact. So we won't have those pregame meetings with the coaches. We won't be able to go in the locker room. We won't be able to chat with the players on the court during warm-ups. And quite frankly, and Mark knows this as well as anybody, um, when you prepare for a game, that's the stuff that you used most mostly during the telecast because it's up to date it's right from the horse's mouth you know the other stuff that you prepare online and reading and going over numbers you know that, that's that's a part of the telecast as well but most of the, the the real good things that you use so you know we have to make adjustments we have to find other ways to get it uh, whether it's zoom calls whether it's telephone calls whether it's text or emails um you know just to get up to date on what guys are thinking and i think um you know that, that that's something that we're all looking forward to to a challenge because that's what it is. It's a different challenge. None of us have ever experienced it. So, you know, the hope is that we figure out a way that even with limited access, we can still provide those stories. We can still provide, you know, the, the different things about players and teams that we've always been able to do. But it is, it is going to be a challenge with the, some of the restrictions that are placed on us. Uh, also, as you go into it and looking at it from a preparation and technical broadcast standpoint, and a lot of people ask me this, Mike, and I'm sure you've been asked this as well, what are your thoughts on uh, the fact that no fans are going to be there? And so how and, – and you and I both have been on some, some webinars involving the NBA. It certainly sounds like that they're going to do some very inter- innovative, adaptive-to-the-situation sort of things to provide atmosphere in the arena. But this is going to be unprecedented for guys like us to call games with uh, with with no crowd atmosphere in the arena whatever they do to replicate that I'm sure it will help but what are your feelings on uh, what you're going into from that aspect of the job you know I I, I don't know how it's going to play because it's not like just obviously there's going to be eight regular season games but then then you get into the playoffs and to have these intense playoff games without any crowd is going to be extremely strange now, I think I think the players will immediately adapt to that uh, because they always adapt when there's a big rule change in terms of how they can defend or how they can uh, move on the court in certain areas. They always adapt. They're they're incredible at how quickly they adapt. And we're going to have to do the same thing as as broadcasters and fans at home. You have to know going in, it's not the same. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be what we're used to. But maybe there are other things that can enhance that. You know, we're, we're hoping to have more sound bites from from players and coaches and referees during the course of the game. Some of it perhaps live. Some of it, I think, or a lot of it will have to be delayed because you never know with, with the language. And maybe certain things coaches and refs and players don't want to be out there. Uh, but if we can use that that natural ambiance from from what's going on on the court, I think that could be that could be really entertaining. What you said, Mark, about what the league is trying to do, they're really they're going to experiment during the scrimmages and maybe even some of the regular season games with trying different things. Like maybe, uh, you know, say, say the Mavericks are playing a home game or what was supposed to be a home game. Um, they're going to try and make it like it, it is a bit of a home court advantage. We're having, you know, um, you know 10,000 Maverick fans on a Zoom call all together, and their actual natural reaction to plays will be broadcast not only over the television, but broadcast in the arena to kind of give it a bit of a home court feel. So all these things, they're, they're going to try and do a bunch of these things like this. Um, they might try and put in some canned crowd noise. I don't know if that works. I, I kind of like the idea of keeping it genuine. 
Um, but they've got a bunch of things. They're going to have music. I mean, we always have, have music in, in the arenas. They'll have the PA system, you know, different things like that. Uh, they'll probably have defense, defense chance with the organ, you know, for, for the home team when they're on defense. So um, they are not leaving any stone unturned. They're really going to try different things and experiment. And uh, I do think the product in, in, in the long run is going to be really good. Yeah, you know, this is probably more of a comment than it is a question, but, I, but I'd love to get your reaction to it. I'm sure we're probably feeling very similarly in this regard. Uh, in, in being on the NBA broadcasting webinar and just looking at, for example, news just came down a few minutes before we, before we called to do this interview. There have been no positive COVID tests of the, of the players who have been tested since July 13th uh, that are in the bubble in Orlando. So obviously that's great news. The amount of planning that the NBA has put into this, not just from a health and safety standpoint, but obviously trying to make this as pleasurable and as normal of an experience for the NBA fan who's going to view these games at home on television, uh, the work and planning and preparation that has been done is nothing short of extraordinary, uh, in my view, of what the NBA has done to try to pull this off in Orlando. Couldn't agree more. Um, Your mention about... The uh, press release about zero uh, positive results. That was a that was like a very big step. I know when the league went down and set things up, <clears throat> this first mass testing after the players and the teams were down there, that was the one that they were concerned about. They felt it was really this one was important to get over the hump and move forward. So that's tremendous news. It really is tremendous news, um, and I agree with you. Uh, because not only are they doing everything for the safety and to make sure competitively it's as good as it can get under these set of circumstances, but they're also trying to make the players feel comfortable where they are. And, and that's, it's been a little bit of a, I think, overlooked part of it, the, the human nature, the human um, feelings of being away from your family, being away from home for such a long period of time. So they're really trying to make the players comfortable. I, I, I had somebody describe it to me as uh, it's like the, the group, this great dude ranch that we're all, we're all on. If we want to go fishing, if we want to play golf, if we want to go swimming. I mean, there's so many different things that they have available for them to do. So, so they're not, you know, just sitting around and in their hotel rooms and, and wondering about, oh, I wish I was home or I wish I was with my kids or I miss my dog. I mean, it's all kinds of different things. So I, I think that I couldn't agree more, Mark, that the league has has gone above and beyond in trying to, to really cover all bases to make this thing comfortable for you from a standpoint of safety, from a standpoint of just comfort, and from a standpoint of um, actual NBA basketball. One of the questions I have logistically that has kind of came up as you were talking about some of the, uh, you know, unique factors calling a game from maybe 20 rows up. Uh, oftentimes you have referees in a review situation come over to your broadcast station courtside and explain what the call was. Um, that obviously can't happen now. Uh, is there any mechanism for them to remotely kind of explain something? There could be issues. I remember a finals game in game one where the, the LeBron kind of charge and blocking call was called at the same time, and there was some explanation needed on that review. Uh, is there any way that, that you're going to be able to get so that the viewer can get more info on some, some reviews late in games? Yes, Brian, they've, we've already had a, um, a Zoom call on that where they're going to have somebody at the table who's going to be connected through the replay center. So that message will go to them and can come directly to us. Uh, so even though we won't be able to get it 
from the horse's mouth, so to speak. The ref's actually telling us we'll either be getting it through that person at the table or if, if there's a possibility to, to you know, get one of the referees on mic by a sideline reporter or a mic that's, that's right there with a headset uh, by the scores table, most likely be a person on the table. But, yeah, they, they've made sure that we still have that, that connection where if there is some kind of strange rule interpretation or something that we can't understand on the air, that we'll be able to get it to the viewers quickly. Mike, from a basketball perspective, uh, this is obviously a unique situation, and and health and safety will be a priority, and it could be, of course, a game-changer for any of these very good teams that are heading into the playoffs. But what is your expectation on on what we might expect to see in terms of uh, uh, teams that you're thinking about? I mean, is it just the usual suspects, or is there anything that you think that could surprise us once we get down into the real nitty-gritty of the playoffs? Yeah, Mark, it's uh, not a cop-out answer, but I, but I think all bets are off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, clearly before the suspension, there there were, you know, Lakers, Clippers, and the Bucks. I, I think you probably could say they were three real potential champions, and they were a little bit above some of the others. Uh, and I think that's probably the same. But maybe maybe the gap narrows a bit now because of the different set of circumstances. It's hard to tell. You know, for example. The Philadelphia 76ers, were, they were unbeatable at home, unbeatable at home, but were really poor, a poor team on the road for a team that's supposed to be one of the best in the East. So how, how does this affect them? Will them playing without having to deal with you know, the, the road uh, intimidation, so there's really no road game for them, so they're not going to have the difficulty on the road, or is it going to be the opposite? that they've needed the home crowd to fire them up to play at that level to be dominant at home. Will they miss that, and will they wind up being a bad team? So it's really hard to pick which way it's going to go one way or the other. The other thing, too, is so much depends upon a lot of the individual players. What have they been doing during these four months? You know, the guys that have been working out nonstop uh, since it ended, uh, they're going to be ready to go from the get-go. But how about the other ones, um, the ones that perhaps didn't put as much time? And you know how some veterans kind of work their way into, into playing in terms of the regular season. So there are so many intangibles there that um, it's hard to predict. You know, I'd still say certain teams are the favorites, but it, it's, there are these new intangibles that we've never seen. Some players thrive, thrive on being on the road and having people boo them and call them all sorts of things. They don't have that anymore to motivate them. Um, you know, there's a lot of players like that that say that will say uh, there's nothing better than, than hitting a big shot and silencing a road crowd. Well, they don't have that motivation now, so how do they self-motivate? Is just being in the playoffs enough? So, again, I think the players will adapt uh, and do it quickly, but at the same time, you just never know both from an individual standpoint and how that impacts a team. I think our listeners to the podcast would love to hear how you assess uh, our Mavericks heading into the to the bubble in the postseason games that they'll be playing in. Well, you know, to me, uh, they've been such an entertaining team to watch. Um, I, I just I can't wait to see Doncic in a situation in a, in a big time playoff situation at the end of a close playoff game. Uh, I mean, this kid is he's already shown to be special in so many ways. Um, you know, not just his, his gift of rising to the occasion and, and just having these unbelievable instincts, but like his joy of playing is, is palpable when you watch him play. Now he's going to get a chance to play in some big playoff games. And, and I'm, 
I've always felt that those are the type of players that lead teams to, to heights in the postseason. When you have your star player, when you have your best player, is that kind of player like he is. Um, you know, could they have used more games to get comfortable with him and Porzingis? Um, absolutely. And you can say that about teams like the Clippers, too, with, with all the new faces that they have. But when you have great players like that, they seem to have the ability to override any extenuating circumstances. So, you know, I, I think they're going to be fun to watch uh, and especially like to see a, a guy in his first real playoff stage um, to me is going to be uh, it's one of the things I'm looking forward to. Well, as we were uh, looking up some info about you before uh, we started recording, uh, it came to our attention that 2006 was your first finals broadcast. And, of course, that's a year we don't like to talk about much here as Mavs fans. Um, but, of course, Sweet Vindication happened in 2011. Um, one, of the, one of the things I talked about with Cuban when we had him on was that, you know, when traveling around the country, he always said that people came to him and didn't say congrats. They said thank you because it was a, a year after the decision and – um, you know, as Mavs fans, we look things through our colored glasses and it was kind of us versus them, good versus evil. But as a objective observer, did it seem like there was a, um, a groundswell kind of anti-heat and that uh, there were a lot of Mavs fans outside of Dallas? It was as pr- pretty much in terms of as much as I've ever seen, Brian, in, in finals, um, where, you know, obviously the Heat fans and the LeBron fans were crazy for their team, but it seemed like everybody else wanted Dallas to win. It was unbelievable that year. You know, Dallas was the darlings, you know, because Miami, LeBron James had that year where he was the number one villain in the NBA, and people wanted to see him go down. Um, and when you had a team like the Mavericks, who really were – you know, they they were the underdog. A pretty, I don't remember the numbers, but they were a pretty heavy underdog. Uh, I mean, the Spurs had the best record, and and the Lakers were the two-time defending champ. So they're obviously their their chemistry was a little whacked out at the time. But um, it's still um, it, it was a great story from from the the underdog situation. And then you had this you know this spectacular player who who just put on such a show during a good run during the during the uh during the playoffs it uh, it all came it was it was really fun to watch um you know objectively just to see how this team came together and were able to overcome the big bad Miami Heat who who uh, who were the heavy favorites going in and and like every not every finals but most finals it's amazing how you know so many of the games came down to one play you know, you forget sometimes in the finals, yeah, a team only won in six games. Well, they could have easily lost two of those games if one bounce of the ball goes differently. And you say that all the time. The margin between winning and losing in the NBA, especially in sometimes championship games, is just so, so small. It's been really fun during, I mean, you know, obviously watching old games and old games from all sports has been what has helped the networks sustain their programming and thrive during these last four months. And we've seen the NBA Finals from 2011 replayed many times and, and so enjoyed watching you and Jeff and Mark call those games, Mike. Uh, the, the interesting thing about it to me as I, as I watch those games again 
you know, as the game has changed and the three-pointer has even become more prevalent in the last few years, 15 and 16-point type of comebacks in the second halves seem like they happen much more frequently. But as you recall, the 15-point comeback that you called for the Mavs in Game 4 in Oklahoma City of the conference finals, the 15-point comeback in the fourth quarter of the Game 2 in Miami in the NBA finals, performance, performances, I'm sorry, like that were very, very unique for the time when you consider the stage that they were being played on, correct? Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, look at some of the, the scores in, in those finals. Most of them were in the 80s in the first four games. And, and again, like you said, to be down 15 uh, without, you know, the three-point shot being just nothing but three-point bombs, possession after possession, that's what made it so incredible. That's what made it so exciting. And, you know, the ironic thing was uh, same thing back in 06, you know, Miami with that couple of great comebacks in, in, in those finals to win and here the, the Mavericks, you know, are they able to turn around that comeback in game two? That's, I don't want to say the Mavericks would have been done if they, if they lose that game. Um, but you know, the difference between down Oh two and one, one and really one, one basket here or, or one miss here or one turnover there makes all the difference. And then, I mean, I think games two, three, and four were basically one possession games. Um, so it's, it's, you're right, though, about that, the idea of the change of the game. And it's fun to watch how the game has changed in such a short time. And it, what's amazing to me is when I watch it, I'm sitting there and I think, oh, my, oh, I forgot about that, or I forgot about this play, or I forgot about that guy that was on the team. Um, it, it was actually kind of fun, although I have to admit I got, I got kind of sick of hearing my voice on, on some of these games. Well, one of the uh, things that people may not know, in addition to your national work, you're also the play-by-play voice of the Knicks, and they're looking for a new coach, and I don't want you to come in any of the names, but one of the names, of course, is Jamal Mosley, an assistant here with the Mavs. And the reason I bring that up is I was wondering with new president Leon Rose whether um, you you have an idea of the direction they want to go in. Do they want to use their uh, 2021 cap space to swing for big fish again? Are they going to go on a longer-term youth movement? Because obviously whatever direction that is will kind of lead to what decision they make in terms of coaching. Yeah, you know, Brian, um, again, I'm not going to try and cop out on the answer, but, you know, this is Leon Rose's first go-round in this particular job. Talk about a career change. So there's no track record of how he's going to do this. So I'm, I'm intrigued as well as what he's going to do. What, what he did, we did an interview with him a few weeks ago. The word he kept using was prudent. So I, I don't think they're going to take shortcuts now. If they can obviously sign a star player, they will. But they're not looking for quick fixes. Um, they really want to give some of these younger guys a shot. But at the same time, they know that the worst thing you can do is just put out you know, 12 young guys on a, on a roster and say, all right, go learn from experience. No, you need to, you need to have the, uh, the veteran experience around on a, not only on the games, but on the road and at practices to, to really show them the ropes. I mean, most, most players will tell you one of the keys to their careers were the veteran leadership on the team when they first got there. So um, I don't know which way he's going to go on a coach. I know there's there's a number of candidates that I think no matter who they pick, it would be a home run because there's a lot of really good candidates out there. Uh, but I do think uh, he will stick to his guns and will be uh, very meticulous and prudent about um, making sure it's built the right way and not try and you know, go for quick fixes and, and gamble on certain signings. 
Well, as our time comes to an end this afternoon, Mike, first of all, I want to say thank you for devoting some time to our little podcast. We certainly appreciate that. Number two, from a broadcaster perspective, I wish you good luck on all of the shows that you'll be doing down in Orlando and look forward to watching throughout the playoffs. And three, of course, and most importantly in these times, is uh, best of luck from a health and safety standpoint and uh, you know, take care of yourself and uh, all your vitamins for your immune system and all that good stuff and just be, be careful down there in Orlando, Mike. My friend, I will, Mark. Thanks. It's it's good to hear your voice, and and you can be sure that uh, if I have some Mavericks games, I'm going to be bugging you for a little insight from somebody who knows the team a lot better than I do. You got it, Mike. Thanks for the time. We appreciate it. Okay. So long, Brian. Thanks a lot. With the return of the NBA season coming fast, the Athletic has launched the Athletic NBA Show, a daily podcast combining some of your favorite basketball voices all under one umbrella. David Aldridge, Ethan Strauss, Marcus Thompson, Zach Harper, Sam Amick, Wozniak Lambre, me, Dave DeFore, Seth Partnow, Mo Kill, and more, along with all of our athletic beat writers. Produced by Jade Hoy, it's a full-spectrum NBA one-stop shop. Something for everybody. Every day features a new show covering everything from insider news to cultural issues, from deep dives into analytics to deep dives inside the front office. So before things tip off later this month, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic NBA Show, available now wherever you listen to podcasts. Guys, you got to get yourself ready to show off your summer body. The beaches are opening up, the sun is shining, the bushes have got to be tamed. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for the wild. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full-body grooming game. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the essential Lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. You can adjust all the settings to get a length you like, and you can stay on top of it with almost no effort at all. Don't forget to use their crop cleanser to keep your hair and skin healthy. It's an all-in-one formula, so it's as good for healthy chest hair as it is for your skin. Inside the perfect package, you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver and anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer because we know how painful chafing can be when you're out there wearing your bathing suit all day. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use the code THEATHLETIC20. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today. And use code THEATHLETIC20. So, follow well. Uh, we just heard from Mike Breen, the voice of the NBA, and I now have the voice of the Mavericks with me. And we're going to do a little season review, catch up everybody on where the Mavs were since it's been four and a half months mm-hmm. since we've seen basketball, and we are just less than two weeks away. But one quick note on the Mike Breen conversation. The only thing that uh, we ran short on time that I, I didn't get to ask him was, his thoughts on uh, Dirk's last game at MSG, because when what I remember, and you can give me your thoughts on this, mm-hmm. uh, I don't recall a, a Madison Square Garden Knicks crowd 
kind of doing spontaneous applause for an opposing player uh, like that ever in my mind. I mean, we saw yeah. some retirement ceremonies pregame. You know, you would see certain players getting their rocking chair or whatever. But uh, because Dirk didn't want to have this kind of farewell tour, they had these mm-hmm. spontaneous eruptions. We remember Boston. Sure. Um, but, you know, I just don't remember, and, and you've been to many games there, seeing something like that. I, I don't recall that ever there. And I think probably the the impetus behind that was – Number one, we saw all around the league because I think everybody recognized Dirk's greatness and what an ambassador he was for the sport and what a gentleman he was and what a great competitor and what an incredible career. And I think that there probably was an extra level of respect from Knicks fans. Number one, uh, at the time, of course, you're thinking about the fact that he sort of was, uh, you know, was the guy who laid the groundwork for a guy like Porzingis. And I guess uh, one day later from when the Mavs were in there is when Porzingis got traded to the Mavs. So, but but I think that was probably part of it. But I think New York fans... I'm quite sure that the really hardcore Knicks fans were aware of Dirk's self-professed love for playing there. I mean, you know, all throughout the years, we always made a big deal out of it on the telecast. Dirk's favorite road arena was Madison Square Garden. He loved uh, being on the big stage, and he loved the fact that it was the mecca of NBA basketball and just how important uh, Madison Square Garden is in the history of the league and the history of the game here in the States. So Dirk had enormous respect for the the Knicks crowd, the MSG vibe, MSG's history. And so uh, I think that they probably, they being New York fans, probably reciprocated that whenever Dirk played his last game there. And you'll remember the date of this better than I can, but, uh, you know, he did have that great shot over Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, back in 2014. Yeah. Went off the front rim and, or back rim and way, way up really high and yeah. went in. And I remember talking to him about that shot and he was you know if you remember he kind of was expressionless and people are just punching him in the chest after that (laughs) and uh he was he was always upset that it was such an ugly shot that went yeah. in, and I was like, "You've got to be kidding!" You just <laughs> he, hit a last second winner in it. Hey man, that MSG. Funny story about that when we did the interview for "Defining Moments of Dirk," the special that ran on Fox Sports Southwest during his twentieth season, and I mean it was an incredible hour that we sat down with Dirk and we went over moments in his career and we talked about hitting a buzzer beater and that's the one we showed because it was at Madison Square Garden and he was like man I can't believe that you guys picked that one during our interview he's even saying that's not a very good one he he never great one he he never let him let his own self off the hook for that for the fact that it was a rim out go way back down bounce on the rim and go in it's like dude you know, uh, they can't, even though his name is Swish 41, they can't all be Swishes. And that's the sign of a great shooter that you can get that kind of a role and still make the shot in yeah, a he moment. Was high like bounce that. 41 that day. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk, um, let's talk actual basketball and let's catch up everybody on where this team was when play was suspended on March 11th because I think people can just, you know, we, we forget where yep. where things were and the specifics. Uh, so why don't you do a brief catch-up of a season in review? Well, and I think this is really important because last week I did my interview on the hard line uh, with Bob Sturm and Corby, and they were asking me some review questions for their own benefit because they admitted, and I even kind of when they were asking me questions, admitted, yeah, there's some parts that I'm kind of fuzzy about on how things were when the season wrapped up in March. And, you know, for that, for that, uh, 
that preview special that has started airing on Fox Sports Southwest that Derek Harper and I recorded last week as we get ready for the, the restart of the season. Skin did an interview with Seth Curry, and he was talking to Seth about how well he played. And Seth even said, I don't even view this as like a restart of that season. It's like it's a whole new thing. So how well I was playing back then just doesn't really matter that much right now. It's, it's this whole new entity. Now, I understand why a player would say that, but as it relates to stats and the standings and all that sort of stuff, it is the continuation, of course, the of the 2019. Of they, we're not going to go through, you know, win streaks and things. We're going to go through the pros and cons of where the Mavs, you know, how they were playing. Well, they were at 40 and 27, of course, when play stopped. Seventh place in the Western Conference. A, a big win over Denver is what they had uh, done on the night that it all came to an end. Probably people do remember that. Seven and five was their record in games after the uh, All-Star break at that point, as a matter of fact. So, uh, you know, as we recorded for Fox Sports Southwest, our review of the season, I mean, to me, if you're going to tell the story, Brian, of the 2019-2020 Mavericks, the lead story is, without question, Luca's season and his ascendancy from being a uh, rookie of the year and a really exciting young player who was a clear a uh, big part of the future of the Mavs in the league to making the, the future now and being an all-star starter this year. Just to remind everybody the season that was in progress for Luka, 28.7 points per game, nine rebounds, 9.3 technically, almost nine assists, 8.7 is the number. Uh, remember, of course, voted as an all-star starter, the first player ever in Mavericks history to be voted uh, since Jason Kidd uh, as a starter by the fans. Um, 14 triple-doubles this year, and with the triple-doubles he had as a rookie, Brian, he's already established the Mavericks franchise record for most triple-doubles with 22. Um, remember that with the thumb and ankle injuries and just general workload, that he came out of the All-Star break and clearly still was just not... On a wrist. Yeah, just, was just not recovered. Thumb, wrist, ankle, all these nagging injuries, and just hard minutes that the guy plays. So in the last nine games that he played before the the uh, the suspension of the season hit, he was only shooting 27% from the three-point line and 68% from the free-throw line. And one thing that was very much different about Luka this year compared to his incredible rookie season, uh, as a rookie, if you recall, uh, we were so amazed by his late-game uh, calmness and his ability to perform well in late-game situations. 14 out of 24 was Luca's shooting number as a rookie on field goal attempts to tie or take the lead in the last two minutes. That 14, that, ma- that number of 14 made shots in those situations led the entire NBA, and he did that as a rookie in 2018-2019. In this particular season, 1 for 13 was his performance on those shots to tie or take the lead in the last two minutes. And the one that he made was actually just a week before the season stoppage in a game that the Mavericks won at home in overtime against the uh, New Orleans Pelicans. So, you know, those are the numbers on Luka as it relates to the incredible season that he was having. But I think how much he is going to benefit from this four and a half months off because clearly the the minutes and the injuries and uh, you know, just the physical pounding that he was taking over the course of the season had taken its toll. And, and you know, even though there were still some really good games and some big numbers that he was putting up post-All-Star break, the shooting percentages weren't very good. His usage rate when you adjust it for the, his minutes played per game uh, is the highest in the league yep. by far. Yeah. And so, um, 
you've got people like Harden and Trey Young who are similar, but uh, he, he was taking a beating. You saw him complain a lot to the refs about that. Uh, he was definitely tiring out. So, yes, I think getting healthy, getting back into a better shape. You also have some interesting numbers on uh, Luca's shooting from three in wins versus losses. So this is a, an excellent call on your part to look this up because the disparity is jaw-dropping. And wins this year, uh, and I guess he didn't play in every win for the Mavs. They've won 40 games. He played in most of them, though, uh, 35-ish or so of them. 36.8% was his three-point shooting number and wins this year. And games that uh, Luka played in and the Mavericks lost, his three-point shooting number was 23.8%. So a 13 percentage point difference, 36.8 to 23.8, comparing wins versus losses. So as Luca goes, you know, the Mavs go. And, and that really, you know, what you mentioned about the clutch play and, and that stat really, to me, go to the number one issue that I think the Mavs had uh, when, when the season stopped, which was their play in the clutch. Uh, you mentioned his, his specific numbers compared from last year to this year. But um, when you look at and, – and clutch is, you know, five points, five minutes or less. I, I'm going to drill down even more narrow to say – you know, one possession game, three points with two minutes to go. Yeah, their uh, their NBA statistical clutch record is 14 and 21. That's the five points within five minutes. The Damaris clutch number, which I really like this, within three points, one possession game in the last two minutes, the number for the Mavs this year was 8 and 16, Brian, with a net rating of minus 39.3. That's 29th in the league. Their three-point shooting in those situations, again, within three points in the last two minutes, was 9 out of 40. That's 22.5%. And their free-throw shooting was 19 of 29. So that's uh, 65% in those particular situations. So uh, for whatever reason, and we probably spent a lot of time in our MAPS postgame shows on the ticket trying to nail down what this was. Uh, you know, some of it was probably Luca defense is keying on him in late game situations, probably just, uh, you know, any number of other things as well. Uh, but yeah, the clutch numbers were not good for the Mavs this year. Well, it is, you know, it is defenses, you know, seeing a year of Luca, uh, adjusting to playing him, playing him harder, trapping him, double teams, et cetera. Uh, and then other people just having to step up and make shots. Um, and, and frankly, you know, they weren't. And so, one of the reasons you see a lot of people clamoring for a second playmaker is is for that exact reason. You know, Rick likes to play with multiple playmakers. We just don't have that squad. And so right. you have Luca surrounded by um, capable shooters and, and defenders, but um, it's nobody who can create their own shot. So teams are, you know, when, when play slows down offensively in the last two minutes of the game, um, it just becomes more imperative to – those who are getting the open looks to be able to hit those from the corners or wherever. And frankly, that's how playoff basketball is played. It, you know, it, it, it's played like the last two minutes, you know, a lot of the game. Mm -hmm. So the clutch problems can show themselves to be a, a much bigger problem in the playoffs. Do you have any feeling one way or the other on how the uh, fanless games, the, the, there's, that there's no home or road, the fact that uh, that's the games that they'll be playing in in Orlando, does that have any impact, any bearing in your mind on clutch performance? Well, I think, you know, the good news is in the weird inverse uh, of what Mike Breen said about the Philadelphia, uh, we were a great road team and a poor home team. Yeah. 
That's true. Uh, for whatever reason that is. Um, and I think that, so that, that kind of will go out the window in a neutral site. And also, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, I just think there's something to maybe uh, not having the distraction of fans to allow uh better shooting for those teams that are shooting teams. Mm -hmm. And so you'll have uh, hopefully a little bit better ability to focus right. and, and hit those long-range shots. As you continue to review the 2019-20 season, obviously if you're going to talk Luka and then uh, tie that in with the clutch numbers for the Mavs, then of course very high up on the list of big stories is Kristaps Porzingis. Uh, you know, obviously we, we couldn't wait for the season to get started to see what the first year of Luka and KP would look like together. Now it took a little while for KP to really find his stride. But when Luca went out of the lineup with that second ankle sprain, and 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 for that matter, in the first ankle sprain that Luca sustained, Porzingis put up some great numbers in some of those games. The Milwaukee road game, for example, really stands out to Dallas. One, I think KP had 28 points and 12 rebounds in that particular game. But remember these numbers, uh, starting with Luca's absence on the uh, game January the 31st in Houston for a 13-game stretch. And by the way, for the year, the numbers for Porzingis are 19 points, 9.5 rebounds, 2 blocks a game. But in the 13 games from that Porzingis played from January 31st to March 6th, 27.7 points a game, 11 rebounds a game, 50% shooting, 40% three-point shooting. Had a couple of clunkers there in the last two games that he played in before the season suspension. Uh, that was a loss at home to Indiana, and a loss on the road to San Antonio. He had nine points in both of those games and something like nine for 28 combined shooting. But the 13 games from January 31st to March 6th, the numbers were absolutely unicorn-like for Porzingis. Yeah, it started when Luca went out, and it started also when the coaches were letting him uh, do a little bit more than just hang out way outside the three-point line. Yeah. In, in what he was comfortable playing before. Um, and then so, we saw... Some of it was probably playing exclusively five because Powell, remember, yes. got hurt about 10 days before this particular stretch started. And uh, and then, you know, Luca and KP were just starting to get their rhythm together, clicking a little bit, mm -hmm. I think, because, you know, first KP was out, then Luca was out, and then yeah. they... I'm not sure how many games they played together before well, the break. Remember that they had one of their best games playing together uh, in terms of playing off one another when they played in Mexico City in December. And then the Mavs come home and play Miami, and that's Luca's first ankle injury when he got hurt a minute and a half into the game right. and then missed a handful of games. And then Luca came back right after Christmas. They played a few games together. Then Porzingis tweaked his knee and went out of the lineup New Year's Eve. He got scratched right before the start of that game, New Year's Eve in Oklahoma City, and then missed 10 games. And then, you know, he didn't play other than one time any back-to-backs after that. So, uh, you know, he missed five of the second night of back-to-backs in that stretch there from the end of January until the beginning of March as well. So that's that's something else that's, uh, that's important to note. But, yeah, those guys, hopefully, uh, you know, they both went back home. They both were able to give serious focus, obviously, to basketball. We saw the videos or the Instagram post of KP shooting and Luca working out. So, uh, you know, one of the things that Mike said in our interview, Mike Breen, a little while ago was what happens in Orlando to some degree we predicated on how seriously guys took this time off. And certainly from a Luca and Porzingis perspective, both of those guys took the time off pretty seriously, it looks like, if you're going to gauge it on social media posts anyway of, of their workouts. Yeah, and so I think they they should be ready to go, you know, 
from the jump on the 31st. The other storylines were really the development of Hardaway into a real option. You know, somebody that I think you and I both thought at the beginning of the year would be a, a sixth-man microwave and somebody that we would want to maybe, you know, get rid of at the end of the year has turned yeah. into somebody that they're going to resign. And uh, that really took off when they put him in the starting lineup because he was getting more open looks with Luca getting a lot of the defensive attention. And he was hitting him, and he was he was playing well. And then uh, from a lot of different people within the organization, they really liked the hustle and energy he brought on the defensive end as well. Tim Hardaway went into the starting lineup in a uh, game in November against the Golden State Warriors. Uh, and that was the game where Luka outscored, out-rebounded, and out-assisted Golden State in the first quarter. Um, he averaged in 50 starts – 17 points per game, just a little bit over 17 points per game, and 43% from the three-point line in the 50 starts that he made this year. Uh, Hardaway has made 185 threes this year, Brian. That's ninth most in the league. So he's just played so well off Luka and KP. His three-point catch-and-shoot performance has been outstanding this year. Overall, as a three-point shooter, as I mentioned a moment ago, 43% as a starter. 40.7% if you look at his entire season three-point shooting number, which just cracks the top 20 in the league. He's tied for 19th in the NBA in three-point percentage. And honestly, Brian, I would tie Seth Curry into Tim Hardaway as well because their shooting is precisely what you need when you've got guys who are going to draw attention, obviously, like Luka can and like Porzingis can as well. So you have not only Hardaway, who is on a very high volume of three-point attempts shot well, but Seth Curry as a sometimes off the bench, sometimes starter, is 45.3% this year on threes, which is the second-best three-point percentage in the league to George Hill of the Milwaukee Bucks. And last year, I believe he was first or second? I think he was, yeah, second last year as well, second, third, something like that. Similar numbers as well. So he, being the key free agency acquisition, has done great. Um, Dodo, who is a guy I had in my crosshairs a lot over the last few years. You have. That's very fair for you to say that, to um, out yourself. Has been, you know, the defensive stalwart that we need, probably the best perimeter lockdown defender we have, but his ability to to allow the Mavericks not to play four on five because he's shooting, what is it, thirty six percent from or even more from three? Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, one of the things that we did, Brian, for our Fox Sports Southwest preview is I think that if you look at the Mavs as a whole, and and when you get into role players, I mean, there's a lot of guys that you can point to, okay. And, and, you know, it's – but you can't talk about everybody on the whole team. So I thought the two guys from a role-player perspective that really encompassed something that helped the Mavs take a big step forward this year is Maxi and Dodo, when you look at those two guys together. Because both of them are sort of 3-and-D players – Finney Smith gives it to you in terms of somebody who's got the defensive versatility to guard one through four. Maxi gives it to you from a big guy perspective. And he can guard fours, and he can switch out in pick-and-roll situations. You can switch him onto a guard, and he's certainly going to be able to hold his own. But guarding fours and fives and being a rim protector is really where he stood out. So listen to these numbers from your three and D guys, Dorian Finney-Smith and Maxi Cleva. Both of them are averaging just a little bit over nine points per game. Both of them are averaging about five and a half rebounds, 
47% from the floor for Kleba, 46% from the floor for Penny Smith, and both exactly 37.4% on their three-point shooting this year, with it, which is both uh, significantly career best for both those guys. And you can't imagine how important that is because, again, you need Dono's defense out there, and he has to be somebody you can rely on offensively. And Maxi is so important as that four when you're playing Porzingis at the five. I mean, yep. he just fits absolutely perfectly with him mm-hmm. uh, out there. And, and then Porzingis goes out, and Maxi plays five. Right. And, and provides, I mean, keep in mind, we're talking about the, the number two shot blocker on the team this year. Obviously, Porzingis leads the team at over two blocks a game. But Kleba, as a guy who's played primarily off the bench this year, has got some starts to his credit, but primarily off the bench, is averaging over a block shot in 20 minutes per game. In addition to the clutch uh, issues that we talked about, the two issues that Rick uh, outlined as, as the areas of improvement, which means areas of concern, were <laughs> defense and free throw shooting. You mentioned the clutch free throw shooting, free throw shooting in general. Uh, I think they're 14th in the league. Yeah, they're average. 15th. Uh, they're average. Yep, so, 77.3%. You, know, you can obviously, we've been spoiled for a long time having Dirk and Steve Nash when he was here, having uh, really high free throw shooting teams. So there's obviously points that we can gather there. On the defensive end, um, they were 17th at defense. Yep, 110 was their defensive rating. Uh, interesting, though, since the trade deadline, 7th in defense. So uh, you did see some improvement, you know, as of recently. Uh, the problem is they're 29th in forcing turnovers. And uh, I know when I was with the team, my job sitting behind the bench was to track deflections, which mm-hmm. may not seem like a big deal, but deflections are what lead to turnovers. And uh, coaches really like that stat. And, and when I was there, they, they tracked it every day. There was a huge board in the locker room that tracked it. Uh, there were uh, probably salary cap uh, circumventing bonuses <laughs> given to players uh, for team, rule, for team um, benchmarks as well as individual benchmarks. So um, really getting that deflections and turnovers number up can help that defensively, um, you know, on that end. Along those lines, Brian, the NBA a few years ago started tracking hustle statistics, and those that includes things like screen assist and uh, loose balls recovered and uh, charges taken and those sorts of things, offensive fouls drawn. Uh, and one of their hustle stats is deflections. So for your Dallas Mavericks this year, Brian, uh, to your point, 12.7 deflections per game, which is... 27th yeah, in the there league. You go. Yep. And that leads to the 29th ranking in turnovers. Yeah. So uh, from my recollection, yeah, I think they would have been very – they wanted something in the 20s um, in terms of total deflections per game at least. So, um, you know, just some quick hit stats. The You know, they, the Mavs have taken the second most threes of any team next yep. to the Rockets. They uh, – because of that, they're 29th in going to the rim, even though they do shoot – uh, more, you know, more than uh, you would think in terms of free throw attempts. Right. Um, they don't go to the rim that much, and they do play a pretty slow pace because of the way you know Luca brings the ball up. So that's kind of a style, of, some style of play uh, numbers. Uh, also, one of the really important stories from the first six, story that is from the first sixty-seven games of the year. We'll see if they can sustain it in this environment, given they're, that they're coming off a four and a half month layoff. But bear in mind that the Maverick offense this year was operating at the highest level of efficiency in NBA history. So their offensive rating, which is basically points scored per 100 possessions, was 115.8, best ever in the history of the NBA. They actually do have a little bit of a cushion. 115 on the nose is the best ever offensive rating in NBA history, and that was accomplished, as a matter of fact, by the 2018-19 
Golden State Warriors, who, of course, lost to the finals to the defending champion Toronto Raptors. So uh, they still have a chance with just eight games left to be able to to accomplish the highest offensive rating, the most efficient offense in NBA history. The question is, what is our expectation of what the offense will look like given the situation that the offense is going to be thrown into relative to, to coming back after such a weird and long layoff? And then adding playoffs and tighter defenses. Yeah. Um, Although the playoffs will not count. You know, these are all just based on regular Yes, yeah, so I'm just talking class, about yeah. in general in terms of being sure. successful. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, because the good thing is, you know, a lot of people look at the offense and want to nitpick this and that, but you're right. The offense is historically great. So that's not really the problem area. You know, you can add some points with free throws here and there, but if you can just get your defense from the 17th ranked to, you know, 10th, mm-hmm you're unstoppable. Which is exactly, that's exactly one of the things that Rick has brought up. That's the, that's his goal is getting from 17th, getting into the top 10. Um, do you, what's your thought though on, on the offense and, and how does a highly efficient offense hit the ground running after four and a half months of, of this weird time that we've been in and, and the limitations on what you could do from a preparation standpoint? Well, I think that's what these three weeks in Orlando have been. And I think, you know, they started scrimmaging in the first week. Um, and so I, I, I don't – the Mavs have not been a in, – in the Luka era, and we only have two years to show, they've not been a slow-starting team. You mm-hmm. see some teams, like LeBron teams, be slow-starting teams. Right. Uh, he's pacing himself. There's no pacing now with eight games, seeding games. I, I don't really fear that as much because I, I just don't see – I, I, they haven't traditionally been a slow-starting team, and I think there will be an advantage to well-coached teams. Yeah, and I think yep. we are a well-coached team, and I think that Rick has spent time in the lab with his assistants trying to figure out the clutch issue and and uh, the defensive issues, and, and I don't know that I, – I just don't worry that there's going to be a, uh, a big – ramp up curve and and even if there is eight games will be more than enough to get you ready for the playoffs so from a team standpoint a rotation standpoint I guess is what I'm trying to say um so we'll we'll assume that uh as a matter of fact well you know what I think I uh, I think I left my last box score over it's 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 not handy right now so the so the last game uh Porzingis didn't play Finney Smith by the way was out with a hip flexor so I guess what you're even what they even started wouldn't be indicative of what we think we'll see next well, week when Courtney they start. Lee was starting because you know, yeah, Rick always right. does that weird thing where he starts a, a three that he never plays again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Although he was playing Lee quite at, at least finally there at the, the last couple of weeks he was so playing him a little bit more. I would expect. But, I I wouldn't be surprised to see Justin Jackson in that role. So 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 next week first game Luca Porzingis. Uh, and it's small ball rockets in that first game. So, Luca, Finney Smith, Porzingis, and then what are you thinking for the other two starters? Probably Jackson and Maxi. You going to play Maxi against the small ball rockets though as a starter? Because remember, they're I mean they're going to be playing. I mean, you could go super ball. small and play Seth. I think that's what. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. You're starting. I'm I'm thinking you're starting Seth. And then just play Max as your backup five and occasionally play him with Porzingis. Yeah, I, th- I think you're playing. Finney Smith as your four. Jackson's going to be out there as a three. Um, 
And then, yeah, you're looking at uh, Luca and Seth in the backcourt. And then just let's let's think this through here. So, so from a bench perspective, uh, if that if that's who you went with the starting lineup, because uh, because and I bring this up because Kid Gilchrist and Trey Burke uh, it's come to light here. Uh, I think we mentioned Kid Gilchrist on the last podcast, and it's also come to light that Trey Burke's not there. Uh, Kid Gilchrist and Burke uh, and both both players Rick's just referred to we're trying to get him here uh and was working through the logistics he keeps on saying that I think Kid so. Gilchrist actually arrived today really okay all right well very good well that's look they need uh they only have 12 guys right now and two of them are their two-way guys Antonius Cleveland and Josh Reeves so if you uh you know who knows if Kid Gilchrist will be ramped up and ready to go by the time that they play next week but uh so so we're thinking I see eight to nine Rotation guys. Yeah, so so let's let's refresh our memory here. We we said if, if you started Lucas, Seth, Jackson, or no, uh, we got forgot Hardaway, so he's in the mix. Lucas, yeah. Seth, Hardaway, Finney Smith, uh, and, Finney Smith, and 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 Porzingis. Yeah, there you go. So off the bench is Jackson. Off the bench is Delon Wright, Maxi. Uh, That's that gets you eight deep, and then uh, Bobon is a. I think Boban's situational. Yeah, very situational. You know, if you're playing uh, Utah, you're going to have some – not Utah. Well, yes, Utah, yeah. Denver. Yeah. You're going to have some Boban minutes. Yep. Um, uh, you know, uh, the Lakers, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess a bunch of other teams, you're not. And um, then J.J. would be the 10th guy. Yep. Or right. Not, yeah, not but necessarily. But I think J.J., yeah. you know, you're going to have games where J.J. is not going to play. Yep. You're going to have games where Boban's not going to play. Uh, I'm speculating that Jackson's going to kind of be that – you know, starting three, you may not see again. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you're probably talking about an eight to nine person rotation. And kid, all this talk about, you know, Burke and Kid Gilchrist, th- those are nice, but those aren't guys that are really – they may play some seeding games if you have something locked up or you're not really going to move and you want to give some guys a rest. But in the playoffs, I, I would be surprised to see a lot of minutes from that. Maybe Burke plays some backup – one minutes instead of JJ. Um, I think Seth is going to play a lot of backup point minutes. So, mm-hmm. but I would say Luca, Dodo, Hardaway, Maxi, Porzingis, uh, Seth, Delon, and then you know and Jackson, Jackson and JJ. Uh, you know, sprinkled. Yeah, that's that's your that's your nine man rotation. Situational Boban. Uh, we'll see if. You know, Antonius Cleveland, you know, if he works his way into the picture, if if there's another wing player that got hurt, he would probably be in the mix, depending on how quickly they get Kid Gilchrist up to speed, uh, you know, if he just arrived on the scene today. So, um, you know, he was playing backup four-man minutes. So we'll see if he gets back into the picture on that. And then, yeah, you got Burke as somebody who can give you scoring punch. He can be a scoring point guard uh, or a shooting guard, either one off the bench. And and And, and- – to your point about Seth saying it's a new season, one of the things Rick said uh, in his uh, Monday press uh, conversation is that they practice with Dodo at the five. Yeah, wow. So, you know, <laughs> again, with your first game against Houston. Yeah, they're getting ready uh, for that. <laughs> they're getting ready for that. But it also means that they're tinkering and that, you know, with Porzingis out, it's not just going to be Max at the five. You could have some crazy lineups with Hardaway at the five or Dodo at the five or, you know, trying some new things that we haven't seen. But I wouldn't expect come playoff time to have much more than maybe eight guys playing. Next week we'll have a preview of the first three games of the seeding games that will start, which will be Houston, Phoenix, and Sacramento. 
Uh, there is some news, though, on both of those teams today. Just a little bit of news as we as we talk about what's happening down in the bubble. Uh, Marvin Bagley's hurt again, so that's somebody else who could be out of the mix for Sacramento, further depleting their manpower situation. But of more importance, the first game against Houston, Russell Westbrook arrived on the scene today in Orlando. He's had uh, two negative tests, so he has been allowed now to come into the campus bubble environment in Orlando. Uh, so if he were to manage to get on the practice floor tomorrow, the 21st, uh, as we record this on the 20th, we're talking about nine days. I don't know if Houston's going every day in terms of their practice schedule. I know the Mavs have been doing a lot of like three days and then take a day off. But anyway, uh, eight or nine practices maybe is what Westbrook can get. Yeah, I wonder I'm not if- worried about him. His motor will be running hot. You think so? Okay. Yeah, he'll All be right. fine. All right. Uh, All right. But interesting, and we'll talk about it more next week, but Phoenix I don't think has even scrimmaged yet because they don't have enough players. They've been playing individual workouts. And Sacramento, as you said, is decimated. They're one of the teams that is decimated by injury. Yep. We're going to play Denver. They, they have eight players right now in camp. Wow. Uh, so a lot of things ostensibly on paper looking good for the Mavericks. One thing I want to talk about is um, the NBA did come down with a little bit of news is that the individual awards will be based on the games already played up till March 11th. Yes, I heard that uh, this weekend as a matter of fact. None of the eight seeding games will count. It makes sense because if somebody's eligible to be Defensive Player of the Year or Most Improved Player or somebody like that and and they're not in Orlando, um, you don't want to have an uneven set of games. Yeah for those votings uh, in terms of the Mavs really, as I kind of went through it, the only person that's up for individual awards would be Luca. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me if you don't agree, but in the MVP voting um, he's in that group of four with LeBron, Giannis and Harden. I, I think I would expect him to be in the top four or five in MVP voting. I would be shocked if he wasn't. I would expect the same thing. Yes, absolutely. Nothing, nobody comes to mind uh, in terms of, well, Kawhi Leonard will get votes. Uh, he, he sat out a lot of games. Yeah, he'll still get votes, though, just because I think people will look at uh, the performance of the Clippers when he has played and, and you know, the fact that he was so important to Toronto winning a championship last year. I think that so fifth think, player could be him or AD. Yeah, I, I think those guys will get votes, but I, I would, I would, uh, I would tend to agree with you. Um, you know, I, I bet you Chris Paul will get. He probably wouldn't be top five, but he'll get a long look uh, because of how well he's played in the clutch this year in Oklahoma City, exceeding expectations. Um, yeah, and over on the Eastern Conference side of things, I mean, you know, Tatum has ramped up his game a lot lately. But yeah. I would be shocked. My bet is that he'll end up fourth. Um, Giannis, LeBron, Harden will be your top three, right. and then Lucas fourth in the MVP vote, and which makes him, you know, candidate obviously to be first team All NBA. That's exactly where I was going. I, I, I would be surprised if he wasn't first team All NBA. Yeah, uh, and then uh, and the see. other one is, and, and I, you know, and I've seen his name floating about. Uh, there's even one publication that has him as their favorite. Um, you know, I, I think most improved player. You know, it's shock. It as as silly as it sounds. Right. You know, you went through the numbers. He's twenty nine nine and nine. Yep. Um, which is up from twenty one eight and seven or whatever he was last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not going to get most improved player. I think Bam Adebayo, who went, uh, I have his numbers here, nine seven and two last year. He's sixteen ten and five this year. Wow. They they like to give it to a guy who, you know, wasn't a top draft pick who had, right. had a nice leap. And I understand that. I don't think he should go to a player drafted third who's sure but um you know the, the other name there is ingram who's really kind of taken a leap forward this year yeah that's a good name to bring up yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I, I think 
If you played on a better team, I think people would bring up Devontae Graham in Charlotte. Yeah. I mean, I think he had one of the biggest scoring jumps because he just didn't play very much his first year. And then he was a guy who was starting a lot of games for Charlotte. But just, you know, he's going to be kind of off the radar, uh, especially since even though they're only going to count those first 67 games, it's just, you know, it's it really does stink for those teams, those eight teams. You know, I understand why there's no need to bring them into the bubble, but they're just, you know, so off the radar uh, at this point. The players who played for those teams and and all of that in terms of postseason award consideration and everything. Yeah, so, you know, I, I think there's very likely that he'll get maybe third or fourth in, in most improved player. But, uh, but all NBA and, and in the top five of MVP, you know, I'll take it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, just as I sit here and think, yeah, there's probably not going to be anybody else who would be in consideration for uh, for any sort of awards. Uh, you know, Dodo and Maxi Corsa are important to what uh, Dallas does, but those guys aren't going to be getting any, uh, you know, defensive player of the year pushes or anything like that. Uh, you know, Hardaway certainly is, has, has had a nice improvement, um, you know, from – being on a really bad Knicks team last year to contributing to a good Mavs team, but that's not going to be anything that's going to put you on the map for most improved player. Uh, you know, and if, if there were a comeback player of the year, which there isn't, obviously you'd talk Porzingis, but that's not that's not uh, something the NBA does anymore. They haven't done that for a long time. And, and you know, six man, there's not really anybody who would be a candidate for the Mavs uh, in that regard. So, uh, yeah, it's Luke is it when it comes to postseason awards. And I don't know if you have any other info on uh... – numbers to go through in terms of the season and review. I've no, one no, last, that's it. Last thing I wanted to bring up is that I think you have some news in terms of uh, scrimmages and our ability to watch them. So we are planning, uh, and, you know, these things change given the uh, extraordinary scope of what's happening, Brian. Things seem to change from day to day on, on how this is all going to go down. But as of this point, we will stream the game against the Lakers coming up on Thursday the 23rd on Mavs.com. And on Sunday afternoon, I think it's at 3 o'clock Central Time against the Indiana Pacers, Sunday the 26th. That well, that's will be usually streamed. when you go on your run. Yeah, I know. That is going to mess up my running. I guess I'll just uh, – we'll be streaming from the American Airlines Center, so I'll just bring my running clothes and just get on the Katy Trail <laughs> right from there, man. Get done with the, the, the stream at 5, 5.30, whatever time, and then right on the Katy Trail. Is this golf shirt follow well? Uh, yes, uh, may might even be t-shirt follow. Oh, wow. yeah, there will not be any on camera for the two, uh, oh, okay. the two webcast scrimmage games we're doing. Um, and then we'll have, and uh, these are 10 minute, uh, the first one is the second one is going to be 12 minute quarters. Okay. Second one will be a 48 minute game. Uh, and these are in the arenas that mm-hmm. is the first time we'll be able to see kind of, you know, a bare bones look at what at least visually the yep. game could look like. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, so that's Thursday. What time? Thursday, Mavs-Lakers is at 6 Central. Sunday, Mavs-Pacers is at 3 Central. So both of those games are on Mavs.com, uh, at least as, as we understand it right now. Uh, and then the game against Philadelphia next Tuesday, a week from tomorrow as we record this on Monday the 20th, uh, that's a 7.30 game that will be on Fox Sports Southwest. And then off we go with the games on starting on uh, July the 31st. And we'll be back a week from today with another special guest and, uh, as you mentioned, a preview of the first few games of real basketball. Yeah, and before we say goodbye, I guess it's probably important to note, we noted this with Mike Breen, but if you, if you didn't hear all of the interview, uh, just quickly to revisit um, as we talk about the future. 
No positive test for any of the players tested within the bubble since July the 13th. So, so it's that's, working. Yeah, uh, working really well. And, of course, we're gonna, you know, every day you got to hold your breath that the news is going to stay good. But, uh, you know, growing sense of optimism, I feel like, in terms of people that I've communicated with down in Orlando about um, the extraordinary work the NBA has done to put this on, to plan and keep everybody as realistically healthy and safe as possible. So, so things are looking good right now, and let's just keep that positive karma out there. And the media have been released. Yeah, they're the out of The hounds have been released from their cages. <laughs> uh, so we will have a lot more. Um, you know, we've had a lot of bubble life coverage from the players themselves, yep. which has been a blast to watch. But mm-hmm. now we're finally going to get uh, some media, much more media coverage uh, over the next week um, to get an idea, frankly, who's there and who's not on some of these teams, mm-hmm. uh, as well as uh, a lot more flavor of what's going on in the bubble. But, yeah, as you mentioned, the most important aspect, I, I heard a reporter mention that uh, she, you know, in, in some of the verbal tests you've been given, and you may have gotten these if you've gone to a doctor's office, you know, have you had a cough or a headache? And she mm-hmm. said she had a headache and said that four different NBA doctors called her to talk about that. That's how wow. uh, exacting and detail-oriented they're being about this. Well, if we were to make a racing analogy, next week we're going to get the white flag, the final lap of our layoff time, and then uh, ready to go. You know, you although, that's, work. although that's at the end of a race, maybe 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 we should say the pace car is going to be pulling down pit road when we record the uh, when we record next soccer. week. <laughs> we're point. almost there. The point is, we're you're almost soccer there, and bicycle races. <laughs> I'll do that. All right, we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining. Us. Oh my God! Oh! Shut it down! Oh Let's go home! <laughs> it's a wrap. Man, that is a wrap.